0: All right. So we're in our last week of sincere faith We've been talking about it for three weeks And this morning we're talking about transparency With discretion we'll be in 1 John chapter 1 If you want to make your way there If you don't have a Bible there should be one in the back of the pews And you're welcome to take that with you If you don't have a Bible we would love to give you, give you that as a gift The um, last couple of weeks we've talked about Our key characteristics that we need to accomplish the mission of our church and the the mission of our church, we connect sincere people to sincere faith in Jesus so that we bring eternal healing to all. That's really what we want to do. We want to connect with each other and we want to connect people to Jesus so that there's eternal healing brought into their lives now and forever. Uh, And we like to be reminded of that fact every week, that as a follower of Jesus, we have eternal healing now and forever. And so that is our mission. That is what we desire to do. That is why we meet together every week is to experience that, to express that, uh, to be thankful for that, and to bring new people into that. And we talked about our key characteristics, things that should define us as a group of people. We've, 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 we are on sincere right now. We will talk about service and sacrifice in the weeks to come, uh, but sincere service and sacrifice are the characteristics that we need to exemplify in order to accomplish that mission that God has put in front of us. And then we talked about the critical actions, the things that we have to do in order to be sincere. Two weeks ago, we talked about loving with truth. Last week, we talked about caring without compromise. And then this week, we'll talk about transparency with discretion. Be transparent. Transparency with discretion. Be transparent with discretion and will be in 1 John chapter 1. So transparency, something that is transparent is see-through. Transparent people are authentic and trustworthy people. Transparent people, their their openness, their frankness, their candor, whatever word you like to use, can be uncomfortable at times, but it is respected. Transparency is key to fellowship with God and each other. Transparency is key to credibility with each other. Transparency is key to positive influence because it leads to respect. Everybody knows the person in their life or maybe there's a specific person in your family that that exemplifies. Maybe for you students, maybe it is your grandmother or maybe for some of us it's uncle so-and-so or maybe it's a colleague at work. But that person that we say, don't ask so-and-so what he or she thinks unless you really want to know how they feel. Don't ask so-and-so what they think unless you really want to know the truth about how they feel about what you're asking about. That's being transparent. But what we want to be, ultimately, is transparent with discretion. Which is the quality of showing discernment or good judgment. That's what discretion is. So we want to be transparent, but we don't have to share everything all the time, everything we think, but we want to be transparent with discretion. It's like a story I read this week about a pastor. He was a new pastor to to a church, and he uh, was meeting with, spending time with two brothers in the church, and the brothers were multimillionaires, multimillionaires, but they were known For being ungodly, would be the way to put it. Uh, The way they lived their lives certainly didn't exemplify someone that would follow Jesus. But the pastor wanted to have an authentic ministry. And he wanted to have a positive influence. So he's spending time with these guys. And he's getting to know these guys. And he's wanting to have an influence on them and draw them to Jesus. And then one of the brothers dies. And there's a funeral. And the other brother has a meeting with the pastor. And he sits down with him and he says, Pastor. Now, I know that you have a plan to build a new church building. And I also know that you're a man of integrity. But I'll tell you this. All I want you to do at the funeral as you speak is just tell everybody that my brother was a saint. If you'll do that, I'll write a check for your new church building. It's all I need. At the funeral, tell everybody how good my brother was. Tell him that he was a saint. And I will put the money in the account for the church tomorrow. Now, as the saying goes, this puts the pastor on the horns of a dilemma. What is he to do? The church needs the building. He wants the building. But how can he be honest in saying these things about a man that everyone knows that would not be the truth? So he thinks about it for a split second. And he says, well, okay, I'll do it. And so it comes time for him to speak at the funeral, and the pastor gets up there, and he says, we're here today to remember a very ungodly man. He cheated on his wife, he was a liar, goes on to explain a few other things about how bad this guy is, and then he says, but compared to his brother, he was a saint. (laughs) That is transparency with discretion. (laughs) Now the passage that we're looking at today in 1 John, this is a letter that John wrote. It's written by John. John, the brother of James, the sons of Zebedee, or the sons of Thunder, which may be the coolest nickname in the history of nicknames. John is the beloved disciple. He's the disciple that is tasked with taking care of Mary, Jesus' mother, after Jesus is gone. Unlike his brother James who was the first apostle to be martyred for his faith. John lives the longest out of all the 12 apostles. John leaves Jerusalem, where he was a church leader, during the rebellion against Rome that started in 66 AD. Now, ultimately, that rebellion was crushed in 70 AD, destroying the Jewish temple, basically, essentially ending ancient Judaism. But John leaves during that rebellion because of what was coming. He goes to Ephesus. John leaves and goes to Ephesus, which is the same as Ephesians, the people of Ephesus. Same people, same place as that letter that Paul wrote. And in Ephesus, John pastors there in that area for the next near quarter century, before he was ultimately exiled to the island of Patmos during an increasing time of persecution around 95-96 A.D. And it is believed that John died about 100 A.D., at the age of early 90s. These three letters that John wrote, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, were most likely written during his time in Ephesus and were dealing mainly with false teachers that were popping up. Uh, They were trying to teach false doctrines and false things about Jesus. They were trying to think like he wasn't a real human um, or that they had a um, secret knowledge that, that led to this special fellowship with God and other nonsense like that. And John... John is battling that in these letters, so always keep that as your context, especially when you're reading 1 John. And John introduces his letter in the first three verses by reminding his people of how Jesus is God and a real human, and that John himself had heard, saw, felt, and experienced firsthand the things of Jesus. He is He was giving credibility, but he is also reminding them that Jesus was a real human being that he spent time with, and he was actually there and saw all of these things that he has told them about. He was an eyewitness to these accounts. And that he and the other apostles had passed this knowledge about Jesus, this good news about the Savior of the world, onto them so that they could join in fellowship with God. That's how he starts the letter. And then he picks it up, and we'll pick it up there in verse 4 of 1 John. John says, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the first of four purpose statements in this letter. John gives four purposes for writing this letter. This is the first one. So your joy may be complete. What an awesome purpose for a letter to the people of God. And then verse 5, he says, now this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. God is light, no darkness. He is all good with no evil, but also what else does light do? As it shines, what else does light do? It reveals, right? It reveals. It allows us to see things we otherwise couldn't or wouldn't see. And like transparent things, They allow you to see the light right through them. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. You can't have fellowship with God and be purposefully living in darkness at the same time. You are a liar and a hypocrite if and when you do, John says. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light... We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See, but when you say that you follow Jesus and you're actually following him, your faith is sincere and your fellowship is genuine with God. It's kind of like this. I was trying to think of a way to describe it. Um, It's like this for, I think the students will get this. It's like when you have a teammate. Right? A teammate that says they want to be part of the team, they are part of the team, they care about the team, they want to win, they want what's best for the team. But when it's time to practice, they don't show up. They're not there for practice. Or when they do show up, it's not a sincere effort to improve. And when the team is together in fellowship, like hanging out in the locker room, there's a distance felt there with that teammate a distance with that teammate. The fellowship between people is hindered or sometimes even broken completely. Or worse yet, when the teammate wants to say something to the team, <laughs> if you've ever been an athlete on a team with that teammate, you know, you're picturing that person's face right now. You may have been that person. I'm, I'm sorry. <clears throat> but when that person wants to say something to the team and they haven't been doing what they're supposed to do, and acting like they're supposed to act, and conducting themselves as a proper teammate, when they get up there to say something, it's, it's just disingenuous. It's fake. It's not sincere. It's the same with God. There's no sin in God. No darkness, no evil, only good. We can't be close to God in fellowship, getting to really know Him, and be blatantly against the things of God at the same time. It doesn't work. It's just common sense when we step back and think about it that way. Yet maybe even worse than that is verse 8. In verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. What may be worse than the person that we just described is the person that pretends they are perfect. That fake church face costume behavior thing that we do. To pretend that we're a good Christian because we think that being a good Christian is being well behaved and having it all together. So let's say it like this we'll re say it. Okay? Two things. We'll say these re- two things. We'll re say these two things. First, some church people want to appear sincere. Some people want, church people want to appear sincere by being relevant. That's a term you hear a lot these days. Being relevant or cool or flippant about their sin acting like they're just trying to be part of the world be i'm just like you i, I it's just cool it's not that big a deal my sin's no big deal it's, i'm just trying to be relevant i'm trying to you know connect with a person and these verses are saying you're kidding yourself if you think that that comes off as sincere to people or acceptable to god If that is our attitude towards sin, we are kidding ourselves if we think that that is sincerely, taken sincerely by the people of the world or the people of the church or acceptable to God. That cannot be our attitude. The second thing is, we re-say it. Some church people want to appear sincere by acting like they are perfect, being disgusted at sinners and turn their nose up to the world. Or as we say, as we call that when it, where I'm from, we call it high-siding. That may not be a term that you know, but that's what we call that. When you turn your nose up at the world, we call that high-siding where I was from. And you didn't want to be a high-sider, you know? you know. That person that walks in, they see you in the crowd, and they just kind of, yeah. You don't want to be a high-sider, okay? You don't want to be somebody that turns their nose up to the world. And this is just as fake and just as destructive, if not more than the first being that person. But there is a third way. There is a way to actually be sincere. We don't pretend sin is cool. We don't pretend it is okay. We don't pretend that we don't have sin. We don't look down on others as if they are the only ones that do have sin. John's answer here is simple, but it's not easy. We are transparent about our struggle with sin. We are transparent about our need for a Savior. We are transparent in our disdain for our own sin. We are transparent about our awe for a God that continually loves and forgives us as his flawed, sinful followers. We are transparent about our continual need for God's forgiveness and provision. Because we are not self-sustaining no matter how bad we want to be sometimes. We are transparent with each other because of this transparency with God. And we find real fellowship this way with God and with each other. And then we get to verse 9 and verse 10. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we don't have any sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That's a that's a verse that many people have memorized. First John 1 9. If we are faithful to confess our sins, he is if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, real quick, let's get out of the way what this verse does not mean. What it is not talking about. This verse is not talking about salvation. It is not talking about salvation. It's not saying you must always keep asking for forgiveness for your sins all the time and then if you don't, if you die with an unconfessed sin, then you aren't saved. There are some places out there that would say that, that believe that and sometimes use this verse as a justification for that belief and that is not what this is talking about. Salvation being given being forgiven by the judge, being judicially forgiven, right? Guilty or not guilty. When the judge forgives you, and the judge is God the Father, that is done when the heart repents, turns to God, confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior, period. That's when that is taken care of. And that is not what this verse is talking about. The context of the whole chapter that we're looking at is about fellowship. It's about the communal unity of a Christian with God and therefore with each other. The word there is koinonia. It's a hard word for me to say. Koinonia. That's the Greek word there for fellowship. And that word is really a kind of a Christian word, it was, it was kind of a Greek term for this type of thing. It's the sharing, the generous spirit, and the participation in fellowship of followers of Jesus. That's what that word is. Fellowship, the koinonia. And as we walk in the light through life with God, as we walk in the light through life with God, and that light shines on something that doesn't align with God, we repent, confess, and receive forgiveness back into fellowship with God. Not back into salvation. That is stamped and approved by the blood of Jesus The verse just said that, the songs we just sang said that, and we know that. God is just. Salvation is secure. Think about that. God is just. Therefore, salvation is secure. It's kind of like like a parent relationship. This analogy doesn't bear all the way out, but it it kind of helps make the point. When, When you're a parent... And your child does something that they shouldn't do. You don't stop being their parent, and you don't stop loving them. Okay? Now, like I said, it doesn't bear all the way out because we're in a sinful world, and sometimes that's not the case. Some parents don't act or do the way they're supposed to do. But the ideal parent, right, the ideal, how we should all be, that parent should never stop loving that kid, their child, for messing up. And most of us don't do that. You don't stop loving your child because they messed up. And most of the time you have forgiven your child for what they mess up on before they ever come to you and say anything about it. And by what I mean by forgiveness is you haven't stopped loving them, right? But that mistake, that disobedience, whatever word you want to put on it, it does hinder your fellowship, it does hinder your relationship. It can, especially, depending on the severity of the disobedience. Right? Some of you are shaking your head. Don't worry, I'm not, I don't think your kid's bad. My, my, I get onto my kids too. Okay? This is, a, this is a common thing. So, just because there's a, mis- a mess-up, a sin, a mistake, a disobedience, doesn't mean that there's not still a relationship. But it does mean that that relationship is hindered. When is it restored? When the person that disobeyed comes to the person that they disobeyed to and says, I was wrong. That's what 1 John 1 9 is talking about. It is when God makes you recognize through His Holy Spirit, through His Word, that what you did was wrong. It was a sin. It has broken fellowship with you and God. God hasn't gone anywhere, just like the parent doesn't leave the house, doesn't leave the relationship. Shouldn't. Okay? You could put this analogy to married couples, all those types of things, right? But when you confess that you were wrong, you come to God and you say, God, I was wrong. True confession of the heart, then relationship is restored. And it wasn't God that went anywhere. We're the ones that go somewhere, just like Adam and Eve. What did they do immediately after they sinned? Ran and hid. Why? Because they were scared to have fellowship with God because of their sin. God still sought them, and God's still seeking us when we mess up. He's not asking us to be perfect. He's not expecting us to be perfect. He is expecting us to continually have a heart that knows we need His forgiveness. Not for salvation. That's taken care of. For continual fellowship. And for continual, we use the big church word, sanctification. Sanctification. For continually being made more like him. Right? That's the point of the fellowship. And fellowship with God is true joy. It's true joy. It is eternal life. That's another way that John says it in his, in his gospel, in John chapter 17. That eternal life is knowing God. So the more that we know God, and we experience God, and we get God's heart as our heart, the closer we are with him, the more fellowship we have with him, the more our joy is made complete. John said that was his purpose for saying what he was about to say. So, just like all those things, I think it would, it would be beneficial for us to maybe look at some, some ways that, that typically we aren't transparent. When I say we, I just mean people in general. And maybe look at a new way to be more transparent when it comes to sin and to just following Jesus in general. Okay? So, bear with me. Old way. Read the Bible so you can know the Bible. Don't raise your hand, but think about that. How many of you read the Bible to know the Bible, so you have the knowledge of the Bible? Maybe the new way can be we read the Bible so we can know God. He's the main character in this not you and not me the point of this is to know him so maybe we should read the bible study scripture so that we can know god know his heart know his desires not so that we can know knowledge and spout off trivia and pretend like we're very good because we know some knowledge from from god's word old way treat sin as trivial treat sin as trivial New way. See sin for the heartbreaking, fellowship stealing thief that it is. It's not about being good or being bad. That is part of it. There are ramifications because of it. But the, the, I think the main thing we should view sin as, as followers of Jesus, is something that breaks our fellowship with God. That's what it does. And that's the worst part about it. Old way. Treat others as bad because they have a sin we don't like or a sin that we don't struggle with. You ever caught yourself doing that? Is there a sin that you just don't like so when you see it in someone else, you just really don't like them? Or it's a sin that you don't struggle with so you feel pretty good about pointing that sin out in someone else because you know you're probably not going to fall to that sin, right? maybe what it is. I mean, we could make a list, but we won't go there. (laughs) But we treat others as bad because they have a sin we don't like or a sin that we don't struggle with. New way, desire to see everyone in fellowship with God and not be hindered by sin. Instead of wanting to point sins out in each other or dislike someone for their sin, we should be heartbroken because we know that is hindering their fellowship with God, which is eternal life. It is keeping their joy from being complete. It is keeping our joy from being complete. And it's keeping our joy together as being complete. Sin hinders our fellowship with God, and therefore it hinders our fellowship with each other. When fellowship together When we are together, which is more than just having a potluck, although I do like like that part of fellowship. (laughs) That's a good part. When we are together, there should be a joy about that. There should be an excitement about that. There should be, we should just enjoy our time together. When we don't, it's for one reason. Sin. That's what breaks fellowship. It's what breaks fellowship with God and breaks fellowship with each other. So if there is a problem with fellowship, a problem with a joy, with us being together, it is simply a sin problem, probably in ourselves and probably in someone else as well. It may just be something as simple as, as harboring unforgiveness, being bitter at someone for something they have done. It may be that simple. And just like we wouldn't, we wouldn't stop being our child's father or mother, because they messed up we shouldn't stop being brothers and sisters in Christ because someone else messes up and if you are the person that messed up if the light shines on you and you realize you were the one that messed up yes you should ask God for forgiveness without a doubt but you should also restore the fellowship with the other person because that sin is hindering that relationship it's not going to keep you from heaven but it is going to bring hell to earth. That's kind of how it works. That's what sin does. It messes things up. It makes it worse. All right. Two more things. I could tell you're really loving this. Old way. Look down on others. We're talking about sincerity, remember? Looking down on others. For whatever reason that we can find. We find a lot of reasons as human beings to look down on someone else. It's kind of a natural survival thing. I have enough to make it. I have more than he has to make it. I have more than he has to make it. Oh, not as much as him. may have to take some of his stuff. It's kind of a natural thing. But natural, like we talked about Wednesday night with the students, natural doesn't mean right. Just because it's natural to do something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. And we naturally look down on others. It's, it's what we do as human beings. But it's what we can't do as followers of Jesus. New way, instead of looking down on others, look up to God. Look up to God. Desire to have all His heart. Desire all His heart to become our heart so that we see each other the way God sees us. So that we don't look down on each other. Because that's a terrible feeling. It's a terrible feeling to be looked down upon by another human being. We have to be a church that when someone walks in here, that's not normally here, in no way, shape, form, or fashion do they ever feel looked down upon. That should never, ever be the case. And if it is, then we need to be on our face, repenting, and asking for forgiveness for having that kind of heart. Because that is not the heart of Jesus. That is not the heart of God. Last one. Old way, we pretend we are perfect. We pretend we have it together. We pretend we are self-sufficient. New way, continually confess our need for God. When I say confess, I mean to other people, not just to God. Confess our need for God. And that all and everything we have, all and everything we have, all and everything that we are, Is by the grace of God. Period. End of discussion. Everything you have, everything you are, everything you experience is by the grace of God. It is not by you. It is not by me. You say, well, I chose to do the right thing. God gave you the ability and the the chance to choose. You say, well, I worked hard in school to get to where I got. God gave you that opportunity. God allowed you to have that opportunity. You could have been born somewhere else to someone else and your situation will be completely different than it is. There's no reason for us to pretend to be perfect. There's no reason for us to pretend to have it all together. There's no reason for us to pretend to be self-sufficient. That is pride. That is pride. God does not like pride. God desires a humble heart in his followers. We confess our need for God, and we confess that all we have and all that we are is simply by the grace of God, an undeserved blessing from God. Yes, you may have made the right choice. Yes, you may have worked hard in school to get to where you got. Yes, you may be a great employee that has worked really hard to become that you, what you've become. Yes, you may be a great employer Yes, you may be in school right now, working really hard, doing all your homework, and then there's that other person that doesn't do that. But the reason that that is the case is because God has given you grace to allow it to happen. You're not better than anybody else, and neither am I. And we can never, church, we can never, ever, ever allow that heart to to sink into our lives. We can never be that person. We can never be that people, that group of people. We can't. And if we are, we have got to beg God to change our hearts. If we truly want to impact anyone or anything, if we truly want to experience God, if we truly want to have fellowship with God, we have to have a heart for people. God's heart is for people. Old way, pretend we're perfect have it together and self-sufficient. New way, We know that's not the case and we are open about sharing that with people because we're sincere. We must be a sincere people with a sincere faith in Jesus. We must be a sincere people with a sincere faith in Jesus. And to be sincere, it's simple but not easy. We have to be honest. We have to be caring. We have to be transparent. As often as much as we possibly can. Be honest, be caring, and be transparent. Faith allows you to do that. Fear keeps you from it. Faith in the God that is going to provide allows you to be honest in a situation where you don't feel comfortable being honest. Faith in God as the provider of all things allows you to care for someone that is not going to care back for you. Faith in God allows you to share something, even though you know that person may use it against you. Again, be transparent with discretion. Use good judgment. But sometimes when you're transparent about something, it will be used against you. But that very thing may be the thing that God uses to change someone's heart for eternity. Is it worth it for us? Is it worth it for us to be talked bad about a little bit? So that somebody can meet Jesus? Is it worth it for us to be a little uncomfortable? So that someone can meet Jesus? Is it worth it for us to do something that puts us out of our comfort zone? Makes us feel a little less important than we think we are? Is it worth it to us so that we can have true fellowship with God? Because we're seeking Him with a heart that really wants to know Him. And when He sheds light on our sin, we don't hide We don't act like it's not there. When you hide, you're in darkness. And John says, you can't be in darkness and be walking with God. It can't happen, church. We must be a sincere people, and it's simple but not easy. Be honest, be caring, and be transparent. The more we can do that in our personal lives, the more it will positively impact our personal lives, our, our husband and wife relationships, our friendships, our parent and child relationships. The more we can do those three things, the better it's going to affect our personal life and as a corporate body, because we are a body made up of individuals, the more it will positively impact our church. If we can just seek God and desire to be honest, caring, and transparent with each other, because we're honest, transparent, and caring with God first. And he gives us that boldness and that strength. Crawford Girls are going to come lead us in a song. And, uh, again, salvation is secure. It takes a repentant heart that confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior. A heart that turns away and turns towards God and confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, today would be the day. If you have done that, be thankful that God gave you the grace to be in a place and And experience a time where that happened in your life, where you were able to turn to him and be saved. And if any of this has struck a nerve today, I just pray that we would allow the light to do what it's supposed to do. We would allow the light to reveal what that is in us and confess it to God and allow him to take it away. It says in those verses that he doesn't just forgive, he takes away the stain of sin. He takes it away. He takes that away from us. Whatever that thing is, that ugly thing that he shines a light on, he'll take it away if we will confess it and desire to repent from it. God, we thank you this morning that you love us. We thank you that that you give us grace to be here. Lord, I pray that we would just have a desire to be a group of people that sincerely seek you And allow that sincerity to bleed out into everyone in our lives, God. I pray that we will experience the true joy of fellowship with you and with each other. And that we would never be flippant or trivial about our sin. And that we would confess it to you. And that if it is something that is hindering your relationship with each other, that we would confess it to each other. God, I thank you for discretion and for wisdom. I pray that you would allow that discretion to know when and where and how and if. Lord, but I pray that you would just give us boldness to be truly transparent with each other and experience a fellowship that maybe we've never experienced before in our lives with each other and with you, God. We thank you for Jesus and the blood that takes away all sins, God. We pray it all this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand up and sing with us this morning?